this episode of the Be A Better Ally podcast, it is my honor to be speaking to the mother-daughter team who have created the amazing organization Pride and Less Prejudice. If you don't know about Pride and Less Prejudice's mission uh, and their success story, I think you're going to be inspired by the powerful work that they are doing as well as learning how you might be able to support them as you take pride this month. Enjoy. My name is Lisa Foreman and I'm the founder of Pride and Less Prejudice and I use the pronouns she, her, and hers. Um, hi, I am Becca DeMonte. I am Lisa's daughter. Um, I also use she, her, and hers pronouns, and I'm the outreach coordinator for Pride and Less Prejudice. Fantastic. So, of course, we will be linking to the website to Pride and Less Prejudice, uh, and I would love to point listeners to the story that's included there, and I'm hoping that, um, you know, a, a teacher who is is coming across that and is learning about the birth of Pride and Less prejudice and they're thinking, you know, I need to act. Can you speak more to the, the early stages of, of Pride and Less Prejudice and just sort of describe those beginnings and what some of your initial aspirations were? Sure. Uh, great question. Um, so I was thinking about when my kids were young and how there was not a whole lot of LGBTQ representation out there in TV, movies, or books. My kids are currently 25 and 22, just to give some um, of a reference point there. Um, and I have a daughter who's queer, and um, I'm thinking about how her life began. And when she started to see queer representation on TV as a teenager, she started to really relate to the few LGBTQ characters a lot. And that was great. Um, and then the more I started to sort of, as she got older, I started to look back at her life and think about what was sort of um, missing at the time. And I realized that there were no LGBTQ books that I was aware of at the time for her. Um, not that I knew that she was queer at the time, but when I looked back, I realized what a big hole that was in her childhood, that she wasn't really exposed to that. Certainly not at school. And I wish that I had known that there was some some books out there that I could have used in my in my own home, um, but if that was missing from my own daughter, it must have been missing for so many kids, um, and I think still is. Um, so I was searching for something to do with my time that was meaningful, and um, I've always been a great lover of books, and I've been a preschool music teacher, and um, I was at lunch with my daughter and a friend of hers who's a second grade teacher, and that's where that story comes from. Um, at the beginning of our uh, website. And I asked the second grade teacher if she would send me a list of the LGBTQ books that she recommend using in the classroom for younger kids and around, you know, the pre-K through third grade age group. Um, and once I started to familiarize myself with the books out there, I thought, okay, this is it. I'm going to do this. I'm going to find a way to get these books into all the classrooms or as many classrooms as I can. And that's sort of how it all started. And you do mention that you really targeted a specific age group. Can you can you just expand a little bit more on that point and why it is that you chose to, to sort of really look um, specifically at that age range? Sure. Um, I've worked with the, that particular preschool age and really young kids for over 25 years, both teaching music in preschools and teaching beginner piano students. Um, so I'm very familiar with that age group, but I also feel like reaching the very young 
is an important place to start. I think that young kids are so impressionable and I always say that they're like sponges and they just take everything in. Um, and so when you're talking about like the socialization of young kids, it's when they begin to learn and, and they begin to learn how the world works basically. And mediums like books are just one example of the way they're socialized. And so want to put more books out there to help normalize the difference in gender identities and sexual sexualities from the get-go, from when they're really little. And I, and I hope that one day we can expand this to the higher grades, because I know that it, we have requests already for kids who are fourth grade and higher, and we just can't keep up with all the requests. So I believe that the visibility is important at every age, but we got to start with the really little kids so they get a great foundation. Yeah, you know, and it's interesting that you point that out. Um, I came across an article, I'll, I'll link to it in the show notes, that it's really by age 12 that, that most children, uh, you know, that it's sort of concrete in their minds by age 12, uh, how they see people who might be different from them. So I, I really appreciate that point that, you know, sometimes I think people frame it as, oh, you know, we have to have these difficult conversations, but I think, well, we have to have these necessary conversations. And of course, books are wonderful ways to spark that dialogue. Um, from 2019 until now, I see that you've expanded your work to 24 states in the U.S. That seems like so much growth in such a small window of time. Uh, to what do you attribute that, that success? Yeah, absolutely. I can speak to that. Um, so I uh, have been working with Pride and Less Prejudice since we started um, in November as the outreach coordinator. And one of the first things I did when we started was reach out to my college network um, I went to Smith College, which is a small women's college that's very liberal and has lots of LGBTQ students and uh, has a really active alumni network that I'm still connected with. Um, and so I figured it would be a good place to start. I posted in a couple of Facebook groups that I'm a part of, some Smith Facebook groups, um, either for Smith educators or for um, LGBTQ Smith alums and just said, hey, this is this website. This is this fundraiser. I'm wondering if um, you'd be willing to support us financially, or if you're an LGBTQ identified teacher or even a straight teacher that would be interested in getting um, these books out there. And I figured knowing my college and my alumni makeup that it would be a good um, safe place to be putting out this message. And so we got a ton of requests and a ton of donations just through the Smith alumni um, community, which was wonderful. Um, and I then reached out to a couple of LGBTQ organizations and activists that I had worked with um, in my professional life. I had interned at GLAAD, the LGBTQ media advocacy organization that's um, based in New York. And they tweeted out our website and our fundraiser, along with Kristen Russo, who's an LGBTQ activist um, that I had worked with when she was the uh, she was working with Everyone is Gay. Um, and so that was really helpful in terms of getting the word out um, across the country and also into Canada. Um, and one thing I also did towards the beginning was I uh, decided I was going to post something on Pantsuit Nation. It's a Facebook group of about 3 million followers that was created in 2016 um, to rally around Hillary Clinton uh, in the presidential election. And so I posted, I requested to post in Pantsuit Nation, I think sometime in December um, of 2019, and then totally forgot that I had posted uh, in the group. And um, about a month ago, we uh, were formally accepted, our post was accepted, because uh, there's a lengthy moderation process, 
um, and we got about 3,000 or 4,000 likes on our post, um, and we got, I think, almost about 100 um, requests for books and a lot of really great feedback, and so, um, yeah, we've just sort of been working our way um, to network in different spaces that we're connected with, and that's sort of how we got to um, 24 Space. Yeah, I, I feel like that um, besides what Becca is saying, that that mostly that was how it began, but social media has played a big part in the way the word is spreading. Um, and the teachers, when they are receiving the books from, we ship the books out, and whenever I ship the books out, I often get a message back from somebody telling me, oh, I got my books today, and I'm so excited, and I can't wait to show them with my classroom, and I'm going to tell my colleagues, and just this week, I got an email saying um, just that, and within 24 hours of that person saying she was going to share it, we got 25 requests in one day just for books. It was pretty exciting. That was from uh, Madison, Wisconsin. That is a really, really exciting story, and you know, I think also reminds me that in schools when we are teaching students about advocacy work, I think that that sort of digital literacy or that media literacy piece of knowing how to leverage your network is so important. Uh, and I kind of just want to ask a follow-up question because sometimes I hear, um, you know, teachers say like, oh, you know, like social media is just about what sandwich you had today. Uh, and so I'm wondering, you know, the, the idea of leveraging your social media network, what were you seeing or what helped inform your understanding that that was going to be really critical to Pride and Less Prejudice? Were, were there any other examples or, uh, you know, was there any kind of crucial learning that, that you did that sort of showed you this, you know, we are going to have to try to, to ask for help and get past, you know, I, I know that sometimes there's kind of a oh, you know, I, I don't want to necessarily be, be asking people to support this. So any other advice, really, I guess the better way of asking this question is for those that are doing advocacy work and are unsure about how to leverage the power of social media, what one piece of advice might you give to them? I feel like my biggest piece of advice would be to like know your audience. And I think that's something that we're currently working on right now being that yeah. we're still such a new organization and so what's really interesting is I had reached out to GLAD and to um, Kristen the activist thinking oh um, they have a lot of LGBTQ supporters like we're going to get a ton of donations and what was really interesting is while we did get a ton of donations we got more requests from teachers and so I think we're sort of in the process right now of thinking about okay like who are the people, who are our donors? Are they individuals? Are they corporations? Are they gay? Are they straight? What age group are they in? What kind of donations are they willing to make? And so I think we're sort of working now on trying to identify like who is a typical pride and less prejudiced donor and then sort of um, creating our social media and our advocacy strategy based on that. And I guess uh, I would say that it's an ongoing process. Great, thank you. Yeah, I, I kind of love that that almost design thinking empathy piece of of kind of getting out of you know what you might want to be posting on on social media and thinking about well what's going to get the response who who are the donors as you say and again I think there is some learning uh, you know for for students around that piece as we're thinking about teaching about the power of social media. Um, I really loved kind of looking through the anecdotal quotes on your website, teachers just sharing how much they've benefit, benefited from the work that you do. 
in your mind, do you think there's one that best speaks to the mission of your organization? Uh, yeah, so um, I think probably the quote that speaks the best to PLP's mission um, is from a third grade teacher from New Jersey who said, uh, we have a student who recently transitioned. Our school is K through eight, very small and tight knit. This student is supported, but I do believe some literature will help in fostering an inclusive environment among the entire school. And I personally love that quote. I think that's my favorite as well, because I feel like it's from a teacher who's very aware and illustrates both, it illustrates both how important the teacher's role is in the classroom and also how these books can help foster the accepting and inclusive environment that we're hoping for. We get requests from small schools, large schools, LGBTQ teachers, straight teachers. It really runs the gamut. And I'm, and I'm thrilled that so many schools are trying to support our children in this way and, and wanting the books in their classrooms. I love when teachers send stories about how they're using our books and the responses um, that they get and the discussions that arise when they read the books to their kids. Um, so I think this quote is perfect. And um, we have so many more stories that we can share that aren't up on the website. And I hope to be able to do that soon. I really look forward to seeing the, the stories that continue to, to make their way to your website. And, you know, something that I've talked about several times on this podcast, um, my teaching background is for high school age students, and, and my wife is a primary school educator, and we talk about the difference between students who are coming up um, through their schooling, where they're having these conversations about LGBTQ plus people, uh, the difference when they've been having those conversations ongoing, that it's a sustained dialogue from um, early years on up to high school. And I've spoken with educators who they, they worry about the fallout. Either they get complaints from the parent community or colleagues or even their leadership team. So to a teacher who they, they want to start bringing pride into their classroom through books and they have that hesitation, what kind of words of wisdom or support might you offer to them? Yeah, um, absolutely. Um, I think that was something that we were sort of aware of as we were starting the organization that, you know, with anything, um, there's always potential for there to be pushback. And so what's been the most interesting thing for us, I think, um, is that we've gotten almost exclusively positive feedback from, you know, all the places that we've been posting. The very few people who have had any kind of negative feedback or questions about our mission are people who just really sort of misunderstand what exactly we're doing. So there, there were a few people who said, oh, you know, kids who are, you know, between the ages are going to school, you know, elementary school, pre-K to third grade are too young to be reading these kinds of books. And they, they were sort of assuming that these books had to do explicitly um, with sex, which is not the case at all. I mean, the stories that we're, we're sharing are about um, you know, a child with same-sex parents, or a boy who really likes the color pink, or, um, you know, about a child's transition, and um, these just aren't books that are explicitly about sex, and so I think my best piece of advice for the teachers would be to sort of familiarize themselves with the books and these stories, because, you know, get that kind of pushback or that feedback, like, it's, it's really, um, not accurate to what we're trying to do um, with this age group, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I also feel like the, the teachers need to educate their parents and the peers and their leadership um, people in the school system, administration, to what the books are really about. 
you know, we're trying to, you know, get the books out there and educate the kids and the teachers, but the teachers need to also help educate the people that are around them. But a part of that is starting with just being familiar with what the books are about. You know, absolutely. And, and coming up into the summer now, you know, when people are thinking about their, their summer reading where they might have a little more headspace for that, it, it's really a wonderful time to just audit your, your personal library before you even think about necessarily the, the classroom library. And okay, when is the last time that I read a book by a trans person or, you know, I, I read a graphic novel by somebody who identifies as queer? Um, because I, I think, as you say, you know, preparing yourself and thinking about your own reading practice hopefully does inform that that comfort level that you have discussing those those texts in the classroom. Uh, and I, I would submit too, it's important for I think school leaders to let their parent community know we will educate about all the kinds of people who exist. Um, and I love that you pointed out that it, it's not about sex. Um, you know, it, it's about um, understanding who's in our communities. Um, what are some of the goals that Pride and Less Prejudice is working on uh, currently as you're thinking ahead? You, you've already achieved so much and I'm wondering if you know what's, what's up next for your organization. Yeah, um, absolutely. So uh, this year we had about 14 books um, as part of our program uh, that covered a variety of topics, as I mentioned. Um, and so right now we're looking into choosing new books for the next uh, school year, another probably about 12 to 15 books. Um, and we've found that there are so many options out there. We've been looking through, I don't know, about 40 or 45 different book choices for next year in the hopes of narrowing it down. Um, so that's been um, a really exciting process and I've really enjoyed um, sort of being able to see what's out there. Um, we've also been posting some interviews with uh, authors who have written the books that we are featuring uh, this year. And so those, uh, Interviews have been coming out monthly on our website and we'll be continuing to post them. Um, and also we'll be having some authors do some read alouds on Mother's Day. We had Leslie Newman read um, Heather Has Two Mommies on our Instagram Live and on Father's Day, we'll be having Michael Hall read, um, read A Crayon Story, um, which we're really excited about. Um, and then looking forward to some of our more long-term goals, um, we are, as I mentioned before, we got more than 100 requests um, from Pantsuit Nation. And so we are working to fulfill all of those orders before the school year starts um, in September. And so we're looking to connect with foundations and LGBTQ orgs and maybe making some partnerships with corporations so we can uh, fulfill all of those orders. Um, and yeah, we're really excited about trying to get some more LGBTQ media coverage. And we're really happy that we were able to connect with you and be on this podcast and get the word out. Um, and yeah, we're just really excited to sort of keep expanding and keep getting the word out and uh, reaching more students across the country. So for anybody who's listening, who either is thinking about making a, a financial contribution personally, or, you know, as you said, corporate donors, um, you know, Pride Month is a great time if you're, if you're listening and, and you have access to influencing what your, what your corporation's going to do uh, with your donations in particular during June. Can you talk a little bit about what happens specifically uh, when they make a, a contribution to PLP? We're aware that um, there's a lot going on in the world right now. And so, and there's a lot of organizations that are looking for donations and things. And so we just wanted to say that, like, we know that it's a tough time to be asking for donations and we're absolutely aware of that. Sure. 
um, when people make a contribution, um, we match them up with teachers who are looking to accept the, the books in their classrooms and it's um, organized by bundles on the website. Um, and so, you know, in terms of dollars and amount of books, if somebody's going to be able to donate $25 to our organization, to me, it translates into two or three books to go, it goes to a single classroom, which would reach approximately, let's say 20 kids on an average class. Um, so for $100, we can ship those same two or three books, but to four different classrooms, which would reach 80 kids. And if we're thinking bigger, we say, wow, somebody gave us $500. It would be two or three books to 20 classrooms, which would be reaching 400 kids. So, you know, the math just keeps going and um, it can be extremely Im impactful because the stats show that there are approximately two in every average size class of 20, two kids that are LGBTQ students in that average class. Um, and every little bit that we get, we really appreciate it and it helps. And we wanna try and reach all 50 states across the United States um, and get to as many classrooms as possible with these books. I just wanted to add that all the proceeds are going directly to the cost of the books. And so when my mom says that every little bit uh, helps, it really does. Um, and speaking as a queer person, I definitely um, you know, believe in this mission and think about what it would have uh, meant to me to have an LGBTQ inclusive book in a classroom as I was struggling to figure out my place in the world. And uh, yeah, I'm really passionate about it and proud of us. For, uh, for starting this. Yeah, and I, I almost wonder if you're sort of shortchanging yourselves on those numbers because the other reality is that, you know, I'll speak to you as a teacher is often you will hear from the parent of a child who will say, oh, you know, my child came home and mentioned this book or shared this book with us. We've actually passed it on to other family members or I'm going to recommend this um, you know, especially when we're talking about young children, I'm going to recommend this to a new parent, um, you know, and I think that exponential growth of, you know, as you say, really getting those books out there, sometimes it's hard to measure, you know, if it goes into one class, what the exponential growth of, of that will be. Um, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And the other thing is, um, you were saying that two out of every 20 uh, kids in a classroom are LGBTQ, and obviously those are um, kids that we're looking to impact, but then on the flip side, that means that there are 18 kids who are straight, and, um, you know, it's also important for them to be as accepting as possible, you know, to the kids in the classroom who identify as LGBTQ or to other queer people that they encounter in their lives, and so I think it's, you know, it's just as much about the LGBTQ kids as it is about um, you know, creating an inclusive environment um, in general. Absolutely. So of the many books that you do recommend, if there's a listener who's thinking, okay, uh, I'm going to start with one. And as you recommended, you know, teachers familiarize yourselves with these books. So if they're going to start with one book, which one might you recommend and why? Okay, Tricia, this question... <laughs> It, it sparked a lot of discussion in our household. <laughs> it's a really hard question. Um, for As a mom, it's like saying, so, which is your favorite kid? <laughs> I feel like I love all the books equally, um, but they all have a different reason why I love them. We have so many books with different themes. We have books that talk about same-sex parents, like Heather Has Two Mommies, or Antango Makes Three, or In Our Mother's House. And we have books that talk about diversity, a family is a family is a family, or love makes a family, or 
all are welcome and those are great too. Um, it Feels Good to Be Yourself is a book about celebrating individuality. Um, Pink is for Boys is about gender stereotypes. I Am Jazz is a trans story. And, and there's more history books that we have also, like What Was Stonewall and Pride, the story of Harvey Milk and the Rainbow Flag. So for me, <laughs> the favorite changes depending on the day and, and what's going on. So when teachers are requesting these books, they often tell me what they're looking for. Like people will say, hey, I have a kid who's in, you know, in transition right now. And so in that moment, my favorite book is I Am Jazz and I'm gonna send it for that reason. Um, or somebody will say, hey, I have a kid in my class that has two moms and it's Father's Day. And, and you know, what do you think about that? And, and so my favorite for that moment is Heather has two mommies. Um, so I don't know, Becca, since you're not a mom, I'm not gonna let, make you choose <laughs> or maybe you can choose. Um, but I don't think I can choose. I'm not sure that I'd be able to choose either, but I think if I had to choose, I think um, Heather Has Two Mommies would probably be the most influential for me as a, as a queer person, um, because I think, gosh, I think I was, I think it was the end of high school that I first like really saw like uh, a storyline on television where there were two moms who had a family and it was uh, the Fosters on ABC Family. Um, and so I think having a book like that when I was younger would have would have been so impactful because, you know, we, you know, there weren't kids with two moms that I knew in, in our community or in our family. And so um, I think that's my personal favorite, but they're all great. Uh, yeah, that, I feel like that question was probably unfair of me, but I, I do like <laughs> that, um, that you highlight... <laughs> I like that you that you highlight that book because the other reality is is that there's not a an elementary or primary school out there that doesn't teach about families and again if you teach about families that book is so seamless to bring into your you know conceptual uh, instruction around what a family is or could be or how different families are all over the world. So, you know, again, sometimes um, when I'm talking with educators, I, I have them look at just the concepts because the other pushback sometimes that we get is, you know, what is your agenda? And it's sort of, well, you know, we talk about identity, we talk about society, community, um, we talk about families. So this is just naturally um, a, a link to that. Um, so, uh, you know, you, I really like that you brought up what you, what you did to leverage the power of social media and your network, and I'm guessing a lot of readers are going to want to continue to follow you on social media. So uh, where can we go online to continue to hopefully support the work that you're doing, to, you know, be in the know when you are having those author interviews that are really, really exciting? Um, and on our website at www.prideandlessprejudice.org. Um, and our handles for social media, we're on Instagram, Pride and Less Prejudice. Facebook is also Pride and Less Prejudice. And on Twitter, you can follow us at Less Prejudice. Okay, great. Uh, you know, if any listeners are out there and they are thinking about action that they want to take during Pride Month, support Pride and Less Prejudice. They're doing amazing work. I'm so happy that you were able to find some time for us today. All the links to go and learn more about Pride and Less Prejudice are available in our show notes.